Well, hey folks, Jeff Salzman here. Welcome to The Daily Evolver. Special welcome to those of you who are joining me live through the Integral Life portals. And while we're on the topic, thank you Integral Life for sponsoring us many years here now, 10 years. And I wanted to give a plug to their latest release, which is a podcast called Inhabit Your Perspective. It's in the Inhabit series by Corey DeVos and Ryan Olke. And they have invited on Bruce Alderman, who I've really come to like. I've seen him on a couple of YouTubes recently. And the three of them talk about Ken Wilber's Eight Zones, which is sort of a, a, a later uh, penetration of the aqua theory where the four quadrants are divided into their inner and outer dimensions. And it's a little bit of high-end integral theory, but it's also uh, perspective taking. I talk a lot about one of the practices and skills of integral consciousness is just perspective taking, looking at all the different ways you can see things and through other people's eyes and so forth. And they call this the yoga of perspective taking. And I love that. And Corey uh, just wrote me an email this morning or texted me. He said, uh, it was talking about creating the podcast. And he said, it was fun feeling into it and seeing how often we actually take these points of view naturally especially zone five, every time we try to reconstruct someone's interiors on the internet, that's zone five. And zone seven is where most conversations about privilege belong. It really cleans up a lot of messes and integral does. It's again, integral theory is um, in, in many ways, it's like the Google map where you turn up the resolution and you see what was there, but you couldn't see before and it's really helpful. So that's the Inhabit series from Integral Life. I also wanted to plug my new podcast, which is a weekly podcast I'm doing over at the Post Progressive Facebook page. And the Post Progressive Project, they have the Post Progressive Post online, is a, a project out of the Institute for Cultural Evolution, which is Steve McIntosh's organization. And they're doing great, and they're doing all this cool stuff. And I show up on Fridays at uh, 11 Mountain Time, which is 2 Eastern, and you can take it from there, on, again, the Post Progressive Facebook page. And the podcast is called This Week in the New York Times, a post-progressive look at the progressive paper of record. And I use what I read naturally in the New York Times, a lot of us do, many of us do, uh, and uh, jump off from there, and uh, uh, it's um, it's fun. I did one last week, and uh, that's posted on there too. All right, so that gets me to today, and today I welcome my dear old friend, Dr. Keith Witt, to the podcast again. Uh, we've done, I think, 30-some uh, uh, conversations over the years. We call them the shrink and the pundit and he's the shrink, and Dr. Keith really has, I, I really do want to take a moment to appreciate him. He it really has pioneered integral psychotherapy. I mean, he's written several books on the topic. He has worked intensely uh, as a psychotherapist for 40 plus years. And I often think about, you know, what does that get you, you know, if, it takes 10,000 hours to achieve mastery at something. What do you get for 40,000 or 50,000 hours? And 
that's what Keith has. I think of him as an oracle. I think it gets you oracle ship. And that's how I relate to Keith these days, an oracle of the human psyche. And so uh, here's our conversation. We taped it a week or so ago, and it's on what Keith calls, calls post-issue relationships. And, you know, Keith and I are always trying to map out what's this integral stage look like, feel like, second person, first person, third person, all that stuff, post-issue relationships. And I'm just going to read what he wrote to me about them in, I think it's two sentences, one sentence, actually. He says, a post-issue relationship may still have problems, resentments, doubts, and selfish or thoughtless injuries, but there is always an adjustment to love in response to pain or distortion. And I love that. You know, it's, it's just a good back pocket marker of integral consciousness is when you're experiencing pain or distortion, the response is an adjustment to love. And we're talking about capital L love, which is the love that accommodates all kinds of things that accommodates your whole, you know, catastrophe of a psyche. It does it with, um, without condemnation. So here's our conversation, me and Dr. Keith Witt. Hope you enjoy it. Again, my summer schedule is first and third Wednesdays. Well, that actually gets me to our topic today. Oh. Which, you know, in, I, I was thinking about it, and it's kind of the topic that we talk about all the time. It is. Which is what's this next stage of development look like? Uh-huh. You know, what is integral consciousness? We, we you know, we, we feel it, we see it, um, and we know it's going to be different. We know it's going to be as different from modern consciousness and postmodern consciousness as they are from each other and from traditionalism and magic and mythic. I mean, these are all very radically in, in terms of root differences. Yeah, different uh, in, views. And just ways of seeing the world and how you process what you see and what conclusions you draw and how one lives. And what's next? I mean, it's going to be bigger and better, you know, because every stage is. Um, you know, as long as we consider that better is not good, <laughs> you know, <laughs> necessarily. That's uh, good there, there is no good option, but, you know, there is better. They, good point. Yeah, and, and we, that, you know, I, I always remind myself there's really no good option in the sense of the option that uh, aligns with my fantasy of how things should be. Right. <laughs> That's so, the good option. It doesn't happen. Well, anyway. as, long as, that, as long as that fantasy is plastic, yes, you know the exactly. fantasy of things could be kind of. As long yeah. as it can change on a daily basis, depending upon how everything is going, I think that's necessary because we're the species that can look back and forward. Yeah. And so, so since I'm going to have a vision of the future, I might as well have it be a consciously um, focused vision yeah. of the future. Yeah. And, yeah. and since I ha I'm going to have a conscious understanding of, of how I exist in the world, I want to have a conscious understanding that, that directs me to, to be open to influence and to change. Yeah. My story of the past and my, my understanding of the, the, my story of the future on a daily basis. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the flex flow, which is a marker of integral consciousness. That's right. And, um, you know, you suggested the topic this week, which is, I think, very much in this ballpark. <laughs> and you talked about 
you know, in, in terms of, it, it was interesting because it's really different than how I think about it, but yet it so informed me. And, you know, you're coming from your experience and all the wonderful psychotherapeutic lineage and so forth. And so I want to give you a chance to lay it out here. And you talk about this next stage as being, you know, a, 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 a more immediate uh, in full access to one's wise self yes, in first person mm-hmm. and then having what you call in second person post issue relationships. Yeah. And these are relationships where we're past our issues. Yeah. Well, and I want that. You know? Yes. <laughs> so anyway, let's just start there. That's the introduction and just, you know, give, give us a little riff on that. So, so yes. And you have, largely a post-issue relationship with Chuck. Okay. That's true. Um, I think. Yeah. Well, see, Go on. There, is, there, there are post-issue moments and not post-issue moments. And, and, I, and I want to explain how I got to this. So I, I was preparing, I've been studying um, a martial arts texts on Tai Chi recently. Um, just got interested in going into the roots, particularly the Chinese roots, which are which go back thousands of years. And uh, and gave a talk with Corey about about psychotherapy as a martial art, um, and and it fits together. Martial arts and, and psychotherapy track quite well. It was part of my brand in the '70s and still to this day to a certain extent. But as I was doing that, I was noticing that in martial arts, there's a couple of goals. And the two goals, particularly if you go in the Chinese tradition, uh, they call it the low road and the high road. Um, the, the low road is, is defeating opponents, you know, like winning contests. Um, though the, the ideal victory is a victory where you cooperate with your opponent into a desired outcome. Um, uh, but uh, the other goal is rejuvenation, is, is using um, all that you have, expression, posture, movement, energetic flow, to adjust the various energies, um, the, your chi, um, there's, there's shen, in, there's spirit energy, um, there's, there's jing, there's, there's vital energy, there's qing, which is kind of the energy that you accumulate. And you balance those energies for rejuvenation. And, and modern research actually says that works, that, that, that our cells actually become younger when we do these practices. Uh, our telomeres don't degrade as much. Our mitochondria are healthier and so on. Um, but those two goals, okay, rejuvenation, defeating opponents. Psychotherapy have, has really different goals. Um, this is where they varied. And it, and it varies from the, the, the seminal understanding that Everything is relationships. As Ken said so many times, there's absolute truth, which is unchanging suchness, and everything else is relative truth, and relative truth is always relationships. And primarily, we have relationships with each other and the world, and we have relationships with all the different parts of ourselves. Yeah. And, and, and just as the integral... So you, the distinction you use there is intrapersonal, which is yeah. all these crazy people inside of me. Yeah, yeah. Right? And I got to navigate that whole mess. And then also my relationships, interpersonal relationships with everybody who's outside of me. Exactly. Those two 
and and just as integral as a map to navigate, um, we're all therapy is navigating towards post-issue relationships, and this is what I mean by that. A post-issue relationship is a, is a relationship where with you, you're in connection with another person, and you're taking care of business to whatever extent that relationship requires business. If you're friends, you're hanging out. If you're lovers, you're taking care of your friendship and your love affair. You know, there's parenting, parenting there's all kinds of different kinds of relationship. If two people are, are engaged in a post-issue relationship, they're doing whatever that relationship is supposed to do. And then when it gets dis, um, dismantled or it gets injured or there's a rupture of some sort, they feel it and they adjust back to attunement with each other, back to a felt sense of safety and warmth within seconds or minutes. Mm -hmm. Seconds or minutes, which leads to a profound sense of safety. Oh, man. It, it's, if, now, no, first of all, nobody is in a relationship where that's going to be true all the time, but we can feel that it's true most of the time or even all the time. And this is one of the great, um, in a way, uh, distractors and, and unfortunately um, false promises of romantic infatuation of love. Because when you fall in love with somebody, you've got 11 different hormone systems all co cooperating to have you trust and love and cherish and forgive and enjoy and, and feel, savor each feel other. Feel safe with, yeah. Feel, and feel safe with each other. If you're, and so, and so you, 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 you've got a, hormon, a hormonally driven post-issue relationship for a, for a period of time until you pass into the intimate bonding stage and our, your, your defensive history arises. Um, and then, you know, problems happen and then how do you deal with the problems? Okay. Now, that's a post-issue relationship with two people doing it at the same time. But you can also have a post-issue relationship with only one person doing it. And what I mean by that is, I'll give you a good example. Um, I was working with this person and uh, this guy had uh, parents that were divorced, living in different parts of the country. And his father was in a home and was a real pain in the ass. You know, every time you visited this guy, you had to go to the ER and he complained about his things all the time and so on. But my client had no problems with this guy. You know, he just went to the ER with them, was patient, handled stuff, understood the father had always been like this to some extent, and okay. So there was a problem that my client always adjusted to being a compassionate, wise self dealing with father. It was a post-issue relationship. Father didn't have it. My client had it. Okay, well, over on the other side of the country is my client's mother. Every once in a while, this mother was a perfect mother, had been all his life. And so my client was always busting his butt codependently to try to get her to be a perfect mother all the time and was always feeling worthless and, and bad because he never got that and angry and said yes when he wanted to say no and on and on and on. That relationship was tangled up in issues. Okay? And so when we were processing, I was going, you know, in a way, your father is much more of a pain in the ass than your mother, but you have issues. You don't have issues with your dad. You're post-issue with him. You have lots of issues with her. Okay. So those are, that's a post-issue relationship with someone who's doing it with you and post-issue relationship with someone who's not doing it with you. Right. Yeah. So how about that intra-subjective, that interior 
post-issue uh, post relationship. Um, psychotherapy was, was originally based on the, 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 the promise of this happening, as is all the contemplative traditions, as is Buddhism, all of them. In the Four Noble Truths, the last one is now where the rubber hits the road is all the rights, you know, right conduct, right speech, um, right livelihood, right right mindfulness, right samadhi, um, right view. Well, what does that mean? Okay. Well, basically what it means is that you're always coming from your wisest self, organizing what you think, see, and do. You're always processing from the wisest self that you've got, okay? Um, and we all have a wise self. It, there's a wise self that I, I believe is constellated in human consciousness at three or four. I think the brain gets mature enough. It, it organizes, it, uh, self-organizes to a certain level of complexity where there is a part of us that wants to harmonize with all the moral foundations. You know, we talked about the moral foundations a couple of episodes ago. Mm-hmm. And wants to do right all the time. And that, that gets both supported developmentally and suppressed developmentally, depending upon everything. And it's, it's always supported to some extent, always suppressed to some extent. In, in benign environments where the, there's no abuse and neglect, there's a lot of support, it gets supported more optimally and, and vice versa. Okay? So what happens with that? With that why, and I, I call it wise self. The only person in, uh, well, there's various people that everybody – Every, every practitioner, every psychotherapist everywhere, whatever their system, will hear me say this and they'll go, yeah. I mean, the only people that wouldn't were the strict behaviorists back in the 60s and 70s, and they died out. I mean, even in the 70s, the behaviorists, they did a study. When they all went and went to therapy, they all went to psychoanalysis, which I found mm-hmm. hilarious. Okay. Yeah. Everybody understands this. And now what happens is we get cued by some threat or we get in a fight or we get argument and a defended part of us takes over and there's, that's a different self. There's a different worldview. There's, there's different instincts. Um, there's different affect regulation and the management and so on. And if we do enough of the work, we do enough contemplative practice to, to cultivate a witness. We do enough of, of, of study of Dharma to understand what's healthy and unhealthy um, in every area of our life, food, relationships, and so on, um, we, can, we can invite our wise self to take charge. Yeah. And I was doing it this morning when I was you know, dealing with my, 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 my legal crisis. I just kept on saying, look, wise self, my wise self has compassionate understanding for everything. And wise self wants to act in service of the highest good. Um, and so if you can invite wise self in when you, when you stray, when you stray with shame or, or fear or anger or, or, or fury or, or moral disgust or any of that stuff, if you can shift you into a more regressed state, more attached state, if you can shift in the wise self saying, okay, what's compassionate understanding, what serves the highest good? If you can do that within seconds or minutes, you're having a post-issue relationship with yourself. Yeah. Yeah, the way I see that, there's a couple things that um, get peaked in my interest here. Um, one is when I think of my wise self, 
I think of, um, in some ways, I think of, of, of my next self, my integral self, which is the self who can see and, but not necessarily be, that is, be gripped by mm-hmm. my previous selves. Yes. Okay? So my rational self, my mythic self, my magic self, my you know, sensitive self, my green self. Uh, that's one way of looking at it. Or my sub-personalities, the little Jeff, angry Jeff, hateful Jeff, loving Jeff, you know, all of these Jeffs that you meet in Gestalt therapy. Sexy Jeff. Sexy Jeff. Jeff, excited Jeff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I, I saw those characters get to, um, you know, I get to see them instead of be them. So when I feel myself gripped by some sort of anger or some sort of resentment, I can, if I remember, which I generally don't, honestly, but when I do, I can remember, oh, I can see this, Jeff, instead of be him. And, um, and I got to tell you, uh, you actually wrote it in your notes. That's really wickedly difficult, actually. It really <laughs> yes. is. Because I, and the reason it's difficult, it's not because I don't know how to do it. I do know how to do it. I don't want to do it. Yeah, right. I don't fucking want to do it. So, um, <laughs> and you see, all of a sudden, I just saw four-year-old Jeff. I don't, well, I don't exactly. Want to do it. Well, I don't want to do it. it. So this gets me to the second part of my question about this intrap uh, uh, relationship among our interior selves. Did this? Did, did this seer, this witness, did he exist when I was three or four or five? Typically, I would kind of say no, because developmentally, it's not online yet. But, you know, technically, but I have to say that when, when, I, when I heard you say that, I kind of do sort of remember him, even when I was four or five, six, oh, that yeah. there was some witness, there was some, there was something there. And in some ways, I was closer to it then, you know, or, or the, it was, at least it was a little more visceral or palpable or maybe a pre-trans thing. I don't know. What do you think? I think it arose in you and you became it and you went, ah, uh, I, we should all love each other all the time, mommy. Yeah. Now, if mommy goes, well, yeah, except for, Except for those people down the street, they're Catholics. We don't love them. I mean, you know, if you if you have mommy go, oh, yeah. That, that. Now that's your that's you becoming that wise self. But there's not enough neural development for that wise self to observe the rest of you. There's no self observation. You're operating from that place, but then you you shift into another place, and that place disappears. There, there isn't a sense that there's that I contain multitudes as, as yeah, right. But there is a sense of of when you when you were describing that little scenario with my mother. Actually, I do remember a very specific incident where um, I had a, a moral sensibility that this is wrong, uh, and that was when I was eating a hamburger. You know, I'm probably five, six years old. And my mom and dad explained to me that this is actually the flesh of one of the cows across the street. Oh, God. You know. And I thought, oh, what? You know. I, and then my dad would, we had chickens. He would kill them and butcher them. I could no longer eat chicken. I could eat chicken from the store. But I couldn't eat chickens that I knew. So, um, you know, there was, you know, eventually I got over that. 
uh, and I'm not sure that's moral, like moral development particular or not actually, but it does, you know, there's a certain pre innocent, pre rational, um, sensitivity. I don't know that was there and, you know, it sort of got subsumed by the higher, more rational, uh, practical levels, I guess, or you just finally just fucking go with the flow. Well, I think it's, this is where integral helps understanding. Um, That you notice, you're assuming that Jeff's growing through worldviews, okay? Not not many people assume that. (laughs) More and more, but okay, so let's, so assuming that then is, here's Jeff seeing the, the flesh and the chicken and this stuff and going, it's not right for me to eat it, so I won't. And feeling a sense of, of somehow this is this is this is connected to something good larger than myself. There's I am there's something I'm embodying something good, something larger. Now it also reflects that there are blind spots in wise self at every first tier value me. Okay, there's also blind spots in the second tier, but the second tier involves consciousness that can observe blind spots, can sense them, develops proprioceptive uh, internal instruments of knowing when a blind spot has been activated and can more, more consistently check it out, um, which, is, which is a difference yeah. of why self in the second tier, yeah. but it can show up at every single developmental level. And there's, there's a signature quality of compassion and care and and moral authority, compassion and understanding and what serves the highest good. There's a quality about it that is the same taste for me at every value me. I agree. When martial arts masters get together and start talking, they all agree with each other. Just, you know, agree, 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 agree. Their students, when they get together, at least in the 60s, would kick the shit out of each other in tournaments. Okay? They didn't agree at all. You know, those, kind of, those Kempo people don't put their back heel down when they do their lunch. <laughs> their inferior practice. Yes. yes. You know, stuff like that. But the masters never had that problem. Judo, karate, Aikido, you know, which is best? Who wins? Yeah, what's best? who wins i mean it, it's i'm fascinated with my own consciousness about this in that first 30 years i practiced martial arts i was just interested in what made me basically a better fighter okay now i'm completely indifferent about what makes me a better fighter when i when i study martial arts when i'm going into the text i'm completely interested in um uh, what makes me what, what expands my consciousness, what rejuvenates me, what connects me to other people, how do I, how do I, how do I enhance and organize the energies. It's, it's not that I have to try to do that. I'm just not interested in what I was interested in those 30 years. I'm interested in something else, why my consciousness has changed. In my pure moments, those first 30 years, I was wise self practicing those, those martial arts. Um, but I... I was coming from a different worldview. I was coming yeah. from a, from a very orange, uh, and Achiever. amber, yeah, and amber. Um, yeah. I, I knew that in in the rituals and in the traditions there was power. 
I didn't know why, but I practiced. They became sacred to me. And to this day, if I'm going to practice martial arts with another person, you know, we bow first, we do that stuff. Um, somehow that, you know, going through the, the ceremony evokes the energies that, right. that I want to evoke. Which, so the wise self is always there, but continues to develop and continues to have yeah, blind spots. Well, there you go. The wise self develops. Why wouldn't he? Why? Yeah, right. You know, <laughs> that's okay. That's good. All right. So when I think of, in general, this idea of post-issue, <laughs> what, you know, in terms of the practical application of it, um, I, I think it means when I have an issue, I'm aware of it and can move into a bigger view of, of you know, the, the wiser view. So it's not like the issues go away as much as when I, I could see them and um, sort of expand to contain them or exactly something. It doesn't mean the problems don't happen or defensive states don't get activated or we don't get bummed out or we don't get frightened or ashamed or any of those other things. But when we do, and that part of it says, no, no, I don't want to reach for wise self. You reach for wise self. You always reach for wise self. The, the, the people that, that have this the most dialed in, in terms, theoretically and somewhat practically, are the internal family systems people, Richard Schwartz. Schwartz. He was a family therapist who came up with his system. He says, there's an interior family, and you want wise self to be in charge all the time. It's his term, and I like it, so that's why I, I use it. Um, now, again, and, and this is what you see with spiritual practitioners and you see it with therapists all the time. When people are growing, essentially what you want to want to do as a practitioner, you want to give them binary choices. Okay. Okay, so you can you can hang on to, to, to being pissed off at your wife for, for crashing your car, or you can forgive her for crashing your car and say, God, that must have been hard for you to crash my car. You know, both, you know, you're physically okay, but it must, you, I'm sure you weren't looking forward to telling me you crashed my car. I'm sorry. You, so there's a difference between not forgiving her and forgiving her, okay? There's a difference between um, feeling one with the universe, you know, having that enlightened sense of, of, of big I, unity, I am everything, and feeling like I'm separate from everything. We offer binary choices. Yeah. What, what that does is it makes us, unless we look for it, it makes us less able to perceive stages. Why is self at orange? You know, Ken quotes that book, Zen at War, where you know, the Zen Roshis got themselves wrapped around supporting Japanese imperialism. Okay. Um, and this, this brings us to the difference between states and stages. You know, the climber, the ladder, and the view. Okay, the view is, is, is a function of what stage I'm looking through. Okay? Now, as we look through that, say we were looking through a, a, a second tier, a, an integral view, okay? All the other stuff keeps happening. You know, attachment and, and desire and... Um, uh, and grab, as Daniel P. Brown calls attachment, I like that, grab this and grab that, and reaction and defense and allergies and, and addictions and on and on and on. They all, they're all happening. But the view is the view through that wise self. And then as they arise, wise self has compassion and understanding and wants to act to serve the highest good. 
Now, if you're doing that with no exceptions, you're in a, you're in a post-issue moment with yourself. Yeah. And if you're doing that with somebody else, you're in a post-issue relationship moment yeah. with that person. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I like what you said about, um, you know, you can have a one-sided post-issue relationship with somebody who isn't having it back with you. Yeah. And that's, I think, extra hard, yes. you know, to be loving to somebody who isn't loving back or to be non-judgmental to somebody who's being very judgmental back or whatever it might be. Yeah. And I think that that is uh, actually exemplifies the challenge we have politically um, as, yes. uh, you know, members of one tribe or the other politically. Mm-hmm. That, you know, as integralists, do we want to have a post-issue relationship with the Magistan and Wokistan? You know, the two fanatical, um, you know, uh, ed- uh, cultural edges of the uh, of society. Yes, I think we do actually. Absolutely, we do. In yeah. fact, I think that's really the that's ultimately that's where the healing is going to take place culturally. And why is that? Um, you know, I, I've I've always uh, when I again practically speaking, you want to give people cho- binary choices, though it. it it gets more complex. So that's the difference between relating and handling. Um, If I'm dealing with Trumpistan or Wokistan, um, I'm handling them. And how, and how do I, how do I want to handle them? What does my wise self want? My wise self wants them to feel understood, wants them to feel respected. I want to feel some kind of shared goal that we have that we can work together on. And I know that energetically when I do that, that I'm healing, healing that cultural system a little bit from my side. Yeah. And everybody that talks about dealing with any kind of extreme position has that particular formula. And, but remember the formula is asymmetrical. It's, it's, it's the wise self person who's doing that. I'm not expecting Wokistan to do that with me or Trumpistan to do that with me. I don't think they will. Okay. And they're not going to notice that I'm doing it with them, particularly though that those sense organs don't exist in those particular worldviews. Um, and I, and I have a responsibility as, as somebody who wants to further the evolution of consciousness. When I have an opportunity, my job is to do that. Okay. Now this is, this really goes against green sensibility. Green says, wait a minute. You know, you can't say that you're handling them and they don't have to handle you. You can't say that you know more about what's going on than, than, than they know what's going on. Well, I'm sorry. Sometimes <laughs> I can't. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I love one of the things that Steve McIntosh says is that we want to be able to articulate our political opponent's worldview better than they can. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, uh, and, and feel it, you know, feel where they're coming from, uh, knowing that, you know, it's an imperfect uh, pr- uh, process, that there's, they have some view that maybe we are not privy to, and maybe that's okay. Um, uh, but I, I got to say that I do see um, a movement in the culture to do this 
more and more. And when I see it in Twitter and I see it in different, uh, in fact, I wanted to share a, a tweet with you. And oh it's, boy. it's so uh, along the lines of what we're talking about. And let me do the share screen here. And this is from a young black intellectual, Chloe Valdery, that I found on Twitter that I really like. And here's what she said. Can you read it? I love that. She said, I am, this is just a tweet, just in and of itself, one sentence. I am becoming less and less interested in defeating my ideological opponents, period. I love that. And I saw this maybe an hour or so after she posted it and it had a thousand six, one point six thousand likes. I like that. I think that's um, very encouraging. And I see that sort of thing more and more. Mm-hmm. You know, so well, you know that that and that and that would be uh, the emergence of an integral consciousness, right? Right, and uh, for instance, in the the in the original uh, in the Tao Te Ching, out of which Tai Chi emerged, out of which Shaolin and Kung Fu emerged, the ultimate victory is cooperating with your opponent in some kind of shared goal. Okay, so. I do not want to defeat people. Um, I want to connect with people and, if possible, find, find some kind of, of common ground. Now, um, that being said, I also realize that uh, human culture, human consciousness produces forms that are tremendously dangerous forms. And that those forms um, are like malignancies that will expand until there's an external constraint. And, and I know that that exists. And good people will be caught up in those malignancies. Good example is what China's trying to do to um, any, any cultural diversity in China right now. You know, banning languages and traditional studies, making everybody, you know, learn right. Mandarin. Right. Um, yeah. You know, I, I was talking to Becky about this. I was going, you know, you can... All right, you can go to Tibet and you can you can put them in work camps and you can destroy the temples and you can t- have them not teach the traditions or Vajrayana and stuff. But Tibetan culture is has been permeated in, into the noosphere. You know, you and I are part of Tibetan culture, yep. and so someday those people in Tibet, if if they want to go back, they'll be able to find it again. There'll, there'll be a lot of stuff that's lost. Yep. That's but right. there are but there are human forms that will expand until there's external constraint. Corporations yeah. are like that. Yeah. And, and so, so part of not defeating my opponent is recognizing there are some forms that are dangerous forms as, as symbolized by global warming, where if I can't form enough alliances with like-minded people to provide external constraint, those forms will expand until the system breaks down like the economy did in 2009. That was yeah. a great example of that happening. Yeah. And so sometimes external constraint is required. Now, is, I can, now I can, my wise self can experience that as a necessary um, responsibility, or I can feel like I defeated my opponents. Yeah. Okay? The same behavior can have, the, can have well, and, radically and we, different. We can also see it in our personal lives. There exactly. are some behaviors among our friends, family, neighbors, you know, fellow citizens that need to have you know, constraint. Yeah. And but you don't have to hate them uh, in the process. That's one thing I get. 
Um, and, and two, um, you know, anytime you're dealing, you're, you're, you're trying to, you know, enter your wise self instead of being gripped by the smaller selves, mm-hmm. um, it feels like an ego death. It is an ego death. Yeah. You know, it hurts a little bit. Yeah. You know, like I have to let go of that because it felt so good and I felt so solid and I felt so right. And I felt so, right. so in, you know, and that you and in letting go of that is there's a certain, you know, Shokum Trumpa said it's like, you know, the, 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 the ground falls out from under your feet. I, I think that is, I think that really what you just said, that's our dilemma. That's the human yeah. dilemma. Yeah. I, I, I told Becky this morning, um, I, I've been noticing a lot of stuff this last couple of years. I don't, I don't know why. Maybe my practice has caused me to notice things or brain damage. I mean, I'm going to go with practice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to have a good thought about that. Anyway, um, every time I finish a dish and I go, I'm going to go wash it, I feel a little resistance to do it. Okay. And, you know, when I was younger, I didn't do any dishes, okay? Now I always do my dishes. But I'm very interested in that little bit of resistance. It's very much like I get mad. I don't want to give up being mad. I get ashamed. I don't want to give up being ashamed. Yeah, right. You know, I'm self-righteous. I don't want to give up being self-righteous. And then you read for yourself. That part of us um, has compassionate understanding and a commitment to right action. And this is where we keep getting – I keep getting back to Buddhism recently – Buddha said you can stop suffering. Now, he never said you could stop pain. He said you can stop suffering. Yeah. And how do you stop suffering? You stop suffering from one um, radical acceptance of everything that is, which, by the way, is this is the foundation of martial arts. Yeah. You know, the, the first thing in the Book of Five Rings is the, the, what, the first thing in the, in the way of the warrior is a radical acceptance of death, meaning radical acceptance of everything. So the first thing is, whatever's happening, it's happening. Okay? Um, but then the second thing is, if, if I can accept it with, with compassionate understanding and a commitment to right thought, right, at, right view, right action, right speech, and so on, I'm not suffering anymore. Yeah. I've been liberated from suffering. Yeah. Um, it feels good. Yeah to give up that desire to and there's a certain kind of goodness the same goodness that you felt when you were four years old and said i'm not going to eat beef now because i don't i'm not going to eat the cows from from across the street yeah there's a quality about that that's 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 beautiful good and true in a particular kind of way yeah one of the things i realize is that it, it it takes effort to do this uh, there is a swimming upstream or something that is required. And I often think you, you could, there's certainly a Buddhist formulation here where, um, and, and I notice it in myself because, you know, I'm retired. I got my garden. You know, I don't have a whole lot of demands. And so I can float around, you know, and I can just watch my mind or not even watch my mind, just let my mind, you know, unspool its movie of, you know, grievances and complaints. And, you know, uh, and it takes an effort to actually interrupt that and, and, you know, move beyond that. And I, um, and I just realized how just fundamental to getting 
you know, if, again, the Buddhist formulation is that it's the moment where you don't let one moment of karma create the next. Yeah. You know, it's the, you're stepping off of the wheel of the nadanas and you are, you know, into a new moment of creativity, something new that, that gets to come online. That's available to us at every moment, as is just this the exhausting cycle of um, just letting it play out on, on, on its own. And, and it also makes me think of a line from Scott Peck, M. Scott Peck, who wrote The Road Less Traveled. And he talked about that the opposite of good is not evil. The opposite of good is laziness. Uh-huh. <laughs> and that makes, uh, you know, I... And he also wrote that evil was, he, when he wrote The People of the Lie, mm-hmm. he said that evil was based in the lie. Yeah. Okay? Not reaching for compassionate understanding, which is the deepest truth. You know, uh, finding a lesser understanding that, that embodies a lie and not challenging it. Yeah. Which is, now, in the first tier, this is one of the reasons why people just rip each other's throats out so much. They go, you know, like that guy, remember Obama was giving a speech and he said, you lie? Yeah. Okay? Yeah. There's, there is, there's a huge self-righteousness in, oh, you're lying. And so now I can indulge, if I indulge that self-righteous little rush, um, then you've been categorized and now I have a right to punish you psychically or, or physically. Yeah. Okay? And so who's lying now? Okay? Yeah. <laughs> I'm lying. Okay. Now, if I feel that and I go, hmm, I have that rush of anger, that you're lying rush of anger, where's my compassion and understanding for this moment and for this person? There's some kind of deeper force that's driving this person, even if they are consciously lying. No, I didn't have sex with that woman. I mean, you know, stuff like that. Okay. Well, there is a deeper, there's a deeper truth beneath that, even though it's, it's beneath an obvious conscious lie. When I go to those deeper truths, um, there's a part of me that relaxes and becomes wiser, that becomes yeah. more loving. Yeah. And, and if I can act from that place, everything works out better. Yeah. And, that's, and that's that moment I'm in a, I notice myself get an issue and then within seconds or minutes, I adjust to compassionate understanding and serving the highest good and now I'm in a post-issue moment. Yeah. And that's, and that's post-issue consciousness. And it's a new creative space yes. that is new in the cosmos, in all of time and space. You just created a new space in the cosmos. And that gets me to my next question here, which is, um, you know, one of the things about getting back to Scott Peck and his book, The People of the Lie, which was his, a, a, a book that came out after The Road Less Traveled, which was such a big cultural moment, that book. And People of the Lie... Um, you know, he was arguing Christian apologetics at this point, and that evil and that good and evil were ontological forces and entities. And I talked to him about it. He he was he was very much into exorcisms and that sort of thing. And it always kind of freaked me out. I mean, it was actually one of the, one of the times that I sort of, you know, I I, I, I sort of left the the. Scott Peck fold at that point because I just couldn't go there. I'm not so sure about it anymore. I really just don't know. But you sent something um, in your notes. And this was um, from, <clears throat> hang on, let me just get my, you sent a, a little excerpt from the book, 
the Book of Five Rings, a martial arts book by yeah. uh, Miyamoto. Miyamoto Musashi. There you go. Book of Five Rings. There you written go. Written in 1645. Wow. And he said that in the void is virtue and no evil. Yeah. I like that better. I'm, 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 where I want to go with this is, so I can see the circle of karmas continuing to the snake eats its tail and you don't get anywhere. But when you do interrupt that, that there is, that there's a loving intelligence, creativity that comes online that is automatic. The, the, the end of that quote, uh, in the void is virtue and no evil. Wisdom has existence principle has existence right on the way has existence yes spirit is no thingness all right okay so, so getting back to m scott peck he fell into the same trap that a lot of the gestalt people did um and some of the psychosynthesis people did in the 70s um it, Amer American culture, traditional, and let's talk about traditional allopathic medicine. Allopathic medicine says, if there's some spot in your body that's not working, let's just cut it out. You know, <laughs> you know, the, forever. You know, that that's what lobectomies and uh, were. Okay, okay. You know, like, you know, you have a spot in your body where you're too upset. Well, we'll just go in through your eye and we'll just snip a few neurons and hey, you're going to feel better. Okay. Um, there were, there were 10,000 of those done in England in the fifties. You're talking or, lobotomies? Yeah. Lobotomies and lobectomies. I mean, the huh? lobotomy comes in from a different side, but a little bit. Okay. So, so the, the therapists, Janoff, the primal screen guy, you just got to scream out that, that self until you get rid of that self. Um, one of my uh, one of my uh, teachers said, you know, he did a little uh, gestalt dialogue where there was a little demon, and he had his client put the demon in his drawer and walk out. The, and he felt really good about that. Okay. Well, what we've discovered is that is that there is no part of ourself that's not important. They're all important. They all need to be included. And the more vile and fucked up and shameful and weird they are, the more energy that they need from us to protect them and love them and include them in the, in the larger choir, which is our consciousness. Okay? And this is where I think M. Scott Peck, and I think, by the way, the reason why that happened with him is because I think he has some dissociative problems with his drinking. No, I mean, not the, I don't want It's no secret that he was a pretty bad alcoholic. Okay, well, the first thing in alcoholic is dissociation. It's denial that I have a problem. I have to dissociate myself from my unhealthy side and, and deny it, okay? Well, then that begins to, when, when you start having parts of yourself that you block yourself off from and say, that's a good solution, then the next thing is, okay, now I just got to get rid of them, like exorcism and stuff. Okay, if I have a demon in me, I don't want to get rid of that demon. I'm going to want to go in. I want to, first of all, take him off the job for whatever he's doing, trying to do to take care of me. He's not doing a very good job because he's a demon. You know, and then I want to find out what he really wants to have done and then do that and then include him in the choir. Okay? And that's my job. There is no exception to that in terms of parts of who I am, parts of my story, and so on. And that's why with wise self, 
your 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 life is always a series of interlocking stories that are that that all fit together in a virtuous fashion, and they're moving forward in a virtuous. In, they fashion. fit together in virtuous fashion. Yes, I like that. All these parts fit together in virtuous fashion. So yeah. the little demon is virtuous, uh, or, or you know, I mean. Not necessarily. Typically, that, that's often true. The demon becomes your friend. There's a transformation when you open yourself to the demon. The demon has a lesson. The demon was your resistance. Um, yeah. You know. Well, say the demon says, okay. I mean, let's even be more specific. Say the demon goes after you. You know, thinks that the, the, the appropriate response when Keith makes a mistake is to just give Keith just hammering. You know, you worthless. You, you loser. Okay. All right, so his job, he's trying to help me grow by hammering me. Okay? Yeah. Now, he learned and how this, to do This is critical, Keith. This is a subpersonality of yours. Yeah. yeah. Bam, bam, bam. Bam, bam, okay, Keith. So, okay, so, so I learned that when I wanted to grow. And what I learned to grow, you got you to gotta dump on yourself where you're making mistakes. In other words, you know, anything short of success or perfection is shameful. Okay, so he's trying to help me grow by doing that. So first of all, I got to counter him. I say, look, I really understand you want to help me grow. Um, but, you know, dumping on me all the time really isn't working out. You know, it's just it's at this point in my development kind of inhibiting me. So first of all, I want to let you know I'm on board with insisting that Keith grow, know the difference between perfection, imperfection, and mistakes and something else. I'm going to take care of that. And now you're off the clock. Okay, what do you really want to do? You don't want to sit around and dump on me all the time. Yeah. You know, and usually if you're doing these kinds of dialogues, this, which is a fun thing to do by yourself, I, I've, I've done it in therapy a thousand times, they'll go, well, God, if I don't have to dump on you every, all the time, then, then what, I, what I'd really like to do is, you know, I'd, I would like to go play with the puppies. You go, well, fine, man. You go play with the puppies and I'll take care of Keith growing. And if he makes a mistake, I'll take care of it. You yeah. Know? You know, those parts, now, if you indulge it, okay, now that, that could lead to suicide. If I indulge a part of me that wants to win, like the tweet, and I'm going to attack them until I defeat them, which is gratifying, what I'm doing now is indulging my inner bully, okay? And this is the dark side of martial arts. A lot of people get into martial arts because they want to be a more effective bully. Yeah. I, you know, every, you go to almost any studio. You, last time I worked in a studio, one guy invited me to go into an alley and fight with him, which I politely declined. No, I'm really not interested. Okay. You know, obviously I was threatening on some level. And, and okay, so, so that's not what martial arts is about. But people indulge it. There's a certain excitement in, in that alpha sense of beating other people, just like there's a certain excitement in violence and it becomes an addiction. Now, going back to M. Scott Pett, we, don't, we want to deny our addictions. And the more we deny them and dissociate from them, the more they cause problems until yeah. they kill us or hurt somebody else. Mm -hmm. It gets harder and harder to kind of find those places and help them grow. Yeah. And this is, where it, this is where this developing post-issue relationships with ourselves and with other people becomes a wicked problem. There's a lot of that kind of stuff going yeah. on all the well, time in all of us. Yeah, I mean, you know, one of the things that you, as you were talking about how you grew up, and it's the same way with me, and I think 
most people in our generation, which is that there was a right way to do things and a wrong way to do things. And uh, if you did it the wrong way, that it was shameful and X, what, you know, all of that sort of thing. And you had to sort of be controlled and dominated and, 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 and obedient, all that good stuff. And, um, and I do want to just point out that, that's, that there's been a huge cultural shift there, period, you yeah. know, in terms of how our kids raise their kids. <laughs> you know, and the, 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 uh, not, of course, at every stage, but if, if you look at people that are in green post-modernity, there's a lot more um, flexibility around what's right and what's wrong and letting kids be who they are and less shame and that sort of thing. And I was reading an article in the Wall Street Journal. It was on the front page of the Wall Street Journal, and they call it the Ted Lasso effect. I don't know if you know that show, Ted Lasso. It's a, it's no, I've a, read about it. I actually haven't seen it, but it's become yeah. culturally significant. And it's Jake, Jake, Jason Sedaris is the actor. Mm -hmm. And he is an American who goes to England and starts coaching a soccer team. I read about that, but go ahead. Yeah, exactly. And, and so the, the Ted Lasso effect is this really actually culturally fast change in the whole ethos of coaching particularly at the professional levels, college levels, where it's not about shaming kids That's right. and, you know, putting them down and dominating them in terms of, you know, their athletic performance, but doing the Ted Lasso thing, which is, I don't know, telling a story, supporting them. I have to watch the show, but I, uh, but that kind of thing, there is the, the world is turning. I agree. So, and I, you know, it's going to keep turning, but I want to note that that's that's progress. I agree. I I see it in sports, um, but you know, one of the ways that's happened in sports is because uh, that particular kind of empowerment is an advantage. There's a, a rugby team called the Blacks in uh, I think New Zealand who who routinely won ch world championships again and again and again and again and again and again. And again. How come? They have a culture that's based on integrity, growth mindsets, mutual support, putting yourself second to the, the, the group, and constant improvement. Um, and, and so that particular philosophy is a superior philosophy that has been adopted more and more and more because it creates more winning. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, it, yeah, and, and it, it creates new problems, too, that I want to make – for instance, with parenting, when we were kids and we started acting like little, you know, monsters or, you know, or defiant or, or, or violent, our parents would terrorize us into stopping doing it, okay? They'd hit us, they'd spank us, they'd threaten violence, or they'd scream in our face, or they'd lock us, you know, they'd do all kinds of horrible stuff. And that was just normal. I mean, I'm, yeah, my parents totally. were great parents. Mine but, too. You know, but, you know, they, you know, if if I started being snotty, um, they would start hitting me. And and by the way, at schools they do the same thing. I mean, totally. You know, here's a big paddle. Hey, you're gonna get a swap from this big paddle because you mouthed off yeah. to a teacher. Could you imagine now? Oh my yeah. God, we call the cops. I know, mommy. Uh, I mouthed off to the teachers, so they bent me over a desk and they hit me with a big paddle. <laughs> yeah, and I got bruises. I remember my friend, one bruises. of my friends, you know, in gym class, he'd have like purple welts from the paddling that he got from the principal. Yeah. I was like, I mean, literally, you'd call the cops. Yeah. Now, 
So now it's a lot more trouble to deal with kids that are aggressive acting out yeah. kids that are, you know, four and five and six and seven, eight or nine. And there's all kinds of systems that have been generated around it. But the bottom line around it is very hard for modern parents because those systems require an awful lot of patience and hands-on time. And what a parent's well, And not higher consciousness. Days. They require a more complex consciousness, a wider circle of compassion, a more, a more willingness on the part of the parent to accept their child's subpersonalities, you know, yeah. to see them, you know, and their and, own. And one thing that I like about it is that if kids have psychological problems, they're more likely to be addressed younger now because they're not being terrorized in submission. So the problems will, will have to be dealt with in more, compl more complex fashion. But it makes it really, really hard on parents because some kids yeah. are just enormously demanding yeah. and I'm not even talking about the kids on the spectrum of which there are 10 times more percentage wise and right. from an absolute way, hundred times more than there were when we were kids. So it's, there's, you know, like it's, it's a dialectic of progress. As we move forward, there's more problems that arise that now we have to find ways yeah. of addressing right. them. Yeah. And why self is always the best place to be interiorly, which is why modern parenting people, if you ask any of the experts, what's the first thing you do when you're all upset with your kid? They'll all say, calm yourself down first. You know, access your wise self. Yeah. And then deal with whatever the next thing is. Yeah. Well, that is, um, you know, good uh, integral advice in general. You know, I, I would also say that, you know, as, as you, you, point back to the history of martial arts, this kind of thinking, it's not like it's new. It's right. just like it's more pervasive in the society. I mean, there have always been people who, was, who have spiked into integral and probably post-integral consciousness, saints and sages of all types and these, you know, rarefied little groups of people and communities that would practice. Uh, but getting it out to the world is really one of the ways that we can chart development. And also bringing in stage models. I mean, even in Lao Tzu, it was binary choices. You know, the, you do this and not that. Okay. Yep. The wise person does this because that's how people grow, grew. It's, it's hard to see stages from the inside. So, so the stage model is if you're a red, we want you to get the healthy amber before we start getting you into healthy orange and so on. Um, now, whether you know, the, know uh, the spiral or not, that gives a whole nother level of granularity to interpersonal relationships with other people, to development, and to your own relationship with yourself. I mean, this is my, my sense about it is I wish that they could teach the spiral when kids are at a conformist level of development. Because at a conformist level of development, you're not going to get all pissed off about stages. Right. Okay? You get yeah. pissed off about stages when you get to orange and you're feeling like you have to win. And wait a minute, I'm not winning if, I'm, if there's stages ahead that I haven't reached yet. But if I've already learned that at seven and eight and nine, I can kind of grow into that understanding. Uh -huh. Yeah. And that's, but you know, if we can't teach, if we can't teach 
critical uh, race theory, I guess we're not going to be able to teach spiral dynamics at seven and eight. At least. Yeah. Well, we'll see how the world turns. Yeah. Well, I, I think uh, in the sacred world to come, we'll be teaching the spiral. I agree. And, and we'll be teaching a healthy version of critical race theory as well. I you agree. Know. Yeah. I mean, uh, but, you know, welcome to getting there. Welcome to getting there. <laughs> Maybe that'll be our title of our little episode here. That's a great title. Welcome <laughs> to getting there. And, and, you know, as usual, we, you and I go from the large to the small, you know, from, from the philosophical to the practical. Yeah. Uh, that, that's what therapy does. Yeah. Uh, that's what martial arts do. Uh, Mimoru Musashi said in martial arts in a book of five rings. He said, learn all the arts. Learn all the sword attitudes. He was this great swordsman. Learn all that stuff. He said, and then forget all those things. And all you think about is cutting your opponent. Yeah. Meaning, if you apply this to life or you apply it to psychotherapy, learn all the systems. But then when you're in the moment, all you're thinking about is healing and loving. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And then whatever comes through you in thinking always, always of the loving, thinking always of the healing, um, whatever comes through to you will, will be the most authentic expression of your purpose at that moment. And oh. we can apply that to everything. Yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yeah. Well, thank you, Dr. Keith. Thank you, Jeff. How wonderful to think of, of, of our post-issue selves. Well, you our and post issue I are. relationships, our post issue, you know, I, I want to have a post issue rest of the day. There you go. Me too. And I, I have to work at it because I was wrestling with lawyers this morning. And, I, and also, I really like having a post issue relationship with you. Yeah, you know? likewise. If there's a problem, we can work it out. Well, that's a very secure place to be with it's, somebody. It's very, very wonderful. All right. Well, thanks so much, Dr. Keith Witt. Uh, anything we should know? drkeithwitt.com yeah just go to drkeithwitt.com you know if you sign up for my website you'll get a video and a bunch of resources every week for 14 weeks for nothing okay? and it doesn't cost anything to be on my website so I suggest anybody listening to this go sign up for my website and you know you can check out Therapists in the Wild and check out my books and all that other stuff and, and just get a little video about 14 different things that I've found enormously fun and important and I wanted to teach people about with resources. And, and uh, so uh, yeah. that's, that's I, I what agree. I have to offer. Yeah. Thank you for that, uh, drkeithwitt.com. And check out my stuff at dailyevolver.com and tune in, again, tune in again for another episode of The Shrink and the Pundit. <laughs> Bye, folks. Much love to everybody. <laughs>